Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. I'm your host, the Real Joe Quinn. On this Thursday, we're recording this podcast normally a couple of days late, but you know we're here. Uh, hope everybody out there is enjoying their day, enjoying their summer. Um, a lot going on in the world of sports and pop culture. Uh, we're going to begin out well somewhere in the world of sports, but um, this has been a story that's been kind of transcended. And kind of uh, captivated the nation, if not the world. Um, WNBA superstar Brittany Griner, of course, one of the great players in WNBA history, one of the great players in women's basketball history, is still being held captive, of course, in Russia. We know the story. Um, and as of right now, uh, the USA, the US had a proposal for a trade swap. Uh, with Russia for Griner and also Paul Whelan, who's the, another American who's also been, has been held captive for the last couple of years, uh, in which the, the swap, of course, was uh, proposed in June. Had, so last month, though the news is just coming out now in the last couple of days. Um, now, allegedly the swap is between, was for arms dealer Victor, uh, Victor Bout, who has been, of course, uh, been called the merchant of death. He's been in captivity for years, for over, I think, over over a decade. And um, this thing, you know, now allegedly he's the guy that they want to trade for uh, Griner and William for. It's not official, but that's that's what you know. Those those, those that's what reports are saying that he is the person that they want to. Um, that Russia would want in return for the freedom of Griner and Willen. Listen, folks, this is not as cut and dry of a situation as may as many of you may think it is. Um, that guy, if if Bout is the guy who wants to uh, who Russia wants in return for the freedom of Griner and Willen, this is not just a regular criminal here. We're talking about a arms dealer. We're talking about a guy who funds, who funded terrorists. Okay. Um, this is why presidents age during their tenure for decisions like this, because let's say hypothetically you make this this trade, this this swap. Reiner is free, Will is free, but then you have this terrorist who is free as well. And let's just say he goes out there and funds some more terrorism that leads to the deaths of Americans or, or, or that, that leads to the deaths of some Americans, per se, or anybody. But let's say just for argument's sake, some Americans. Then what? Biden is in a no-win situation. Um... He almost has to help. He almost has to bring Griner home because, you know, approval ratings are at a low right now. You you want the black vote. You want the LGBT LGBT uh, LGBTQ plus vote, right? And and think about this worst case scenario. You don't want Donald Trump, who already is who already is we know is going to run for twenty twenty four. You don't want him to get in the mix and say, hey, I talked to Putin. Putin's decided to let her go. Boom, boom. 
so a lot there are a lot of moving pieces here um from this standpoint and again it is not that simple to simply just say hey bring Brittany home like that's just not we, we can't go to war over this and not America's not gonna go over, over, over the war go to war over this you can't invade Russia and bring her home like there I, I just don't feel like people realize how complicated that this situation is and immediately we want to point to you know misogyny racism we want to point to you know uh you know being we want to point to uh you know not standing up for the lgbt lgbtq plus community we want to point to a number of things in terms of why britney grinder is at home it's not that simple it's just not and you know i again it is a it, I, I can tell you right now, I, can, I cannot imagine having to make this decision if I'm president of the United States. Now, considering what I guess, like I said earlier, considering the state where where Biden is at from a political standpoint, he probably he's he, he, I mean he's going to uh, make the move to try to do everything to get her home. Period. But it is not a it is not a cut and dry situation. In terms of this is the best, like her coming home, is her coming home the best possible outcome if you have a, if it allows a terrorist to be free? And on top of it, if this is, if it sets a precedent for, you know, for other Americans to go overseas and to get kidnapped or to get held hostage and, 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 uh, for future uh, swipes. Think about that. So, you know, it. Of course, we are. Listen, we want Brittany go. We, I like. I, I want Brittany Griner to be free, uh, to be out of prison. She should not be in prison, right? She shouldn't be doing jail time. Uh, the punishment does not fit the. You know, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. But again, think about this: the punishment was done. The crime was done in Russia. If this were the United States, she probably it'd be no jail time. But she did, in terms of smuggling, uh, you know, the vape cartridges, that was in Russia. Whether it was intentional or unintentional, unintentional, it was in Russia. They have a different set of, they have a completely different uh, judicial system. It's not America. It's not any other country. It's Russia. So we got to be cognizant of that and just, you know, I mean, you have to take. You have to look. You have to look at all the angles here when it comes to this, uh, this particular story. Of course, you want Britain, You want her home. But again, it's going to be it is a it is a very complex situation. And you know, moving forward. Now, again, the scary part. The, the scary thing to me is you know, if you're the scary part about this situation, there's so many ways you can go. But the scary part to me is that somehow Putin. And Trump used this to both their advantages, uh, and get and getting and getting Donald Trump back in the office, back in back in the White House. That that's the scary thing because I, I can definitely see that that see those two conspiring and, and, and uh, to do this, something like that. I could one thousand percent can see that. Okay, right now the United States really doesn't have any leverage on Russia to. Uh, bring Griner home or Whalen home. They have no. They have no leverage. The ball is in Russia's court. 
this is going to be dictated. If, if she's free, it's going to be because Russia decided to make this decision. And Russia does not care, could care less in terms of they're not being pressured. They're not going to be pushed around or, or bullied into freeing Griner. That's just not going to happen. And if I'm Russia, if I'm thinking like Putin thinks or I, I, or appears to, you know, based on stuff that you read or based on how he's moved, there's no rush to let her, to uh, free her. There's really, like, why, well, I'm in a rush. What, for what? Well, I mean, I'm not, I, I don't have any, she could stay in, you know, she could be in jail for another year, two years, whatever. I don't, there's no rush. I'll wait till, you know, after the midterms, wait up until the 2024 election. And again, I can, again, I can see Trump and Putin conspiring to use this against Joe Biden and the Democrat. Like this, this thing has so many layers to it. Uh, but again, again, we all want, want grinders to come to be home, to come home and to be freed and wailing as well. Um, but, uh, is it's a situation that um there are a lot there are a lot of things a lot of moving pieces um hopefully and i again i don't know it's one of those situations where what is the best outcome i don't know if there is a best outcome there's no clean outcome with this situation i should say there's no night no outcome that's gonna make this make you have this situation where you can just button it up and everything is nice and neat. That's just not, no. It's going to be messy regardless of what happens. The situation is going to be messy. So, uh, just absolutely wishing the best for Grinder and, you know, I could, again, and, you know, her friends, her family, friends, um, who absolutely had one, who absolutely would absolutely want, despite, you know, letting, uh, despite the possible, outcome where a terrorist is free and, you know if you're somebody if you're related to britney griner if you're a close friend of course you want it all that, that goes without saying her her significant her her spouse uh her wife yeah of course she wants it all but you know this thing has is just way more complicated than uh than that and again the united states is doing i feel like everything the united states can do to be if i'm be fair about it i mean they've offered if they've offered to free a a terror a guy who funds terrorism, I don't know what more can you what more can you do outside of going to war, which is not going to happen, and which wouldn't help out anybody. That 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 would be that that's worst case scenario. Like that's that's just not, and that's not going to happen. So again, the story that just continues to uh dominate the nba headlines um it came out earlier this week over the weekend that with the fall with with phoenix and miami kind of in the the background um and kind of on the outskirts of the kevin durant sweepstakes as far as trading as far as uh being being a team that um could possibly land kevin durant we see a new team emerge that has the assets, that has the picks, and that, of course, is the Boston Celtics. Apparently, Boston and the Nets discussed a deal that in which Boston would move Jalen Brown, Derek White, some picks, and another rotation player uh, for 
uh, for Kevin Durant. The Nets turned that deal down. They also, because they also wanted Marcus Smart in that deal as well. So Jalen Brown, Derek White, Marcus Smart, three unprotected hit and and, uh, and some, I'm sure some uh, th- uh, multiple first round picks and possibly even another rotation player. So here's the thing. Um, the Boston Celtics are coming off a situation, a season where they were two games, they were up two games to one in the finals. They were two games away from being NBA champions, right? You improved the team over the course of the summer, brought in Brogdon. Um, you have a, a young core that's only getting getting better. Brogdon and Gallinari for, for some depth purposes. You have just about everybody coming back that was that, that that actually mattered in terms of you making a run for the championship. You are in a position of stability. You have a very good coach. You have a well-run organization. You don't have to make this move. I don't again. If I were Boston, I would not make this move. I just wouldn't do it. Um, I'm not going to make it. I I put it to you this way: I wouldn't make the move on the Nets. I wouldn't. The Nets wouldn't dictate the terms of this move. I would dictate the terms of this move. So, would I hypothetically would I trade Jalen Brown, Derek White? And say four unprotected first round picks for for Kevin Durant, probably, probably, yeah. That leaves me with I'm still I still have Smart, I still have Tatum, I still have I will have Kevin Durant coming in. Uh, I also have Brogdon, Horford. Yeah, that team is the team. That team will be the team to beat. I am not giving up Marcus Smart. I'm not going to allow Brooklyn to dictate the terms of this deal because Brooklyn is in the position to where they have to move Kevin Durant even though he's under contract. They don't want an unhappy Kevin Durant coming back and coming back in October and saying, hey, you know what? Just go play basketball. We'll dare you to sit out. We'll dare you to uh, sit out. We'll dare. No, they don't want that. They don't want that. And if they said they wouldn't mind that, then so what? So be it. I will call it a bluff. Brooklyn can win a championship as currently constructed. They don't need Kevin Durant. If they were to make the move, right, they give up, let's say they give up Derek White, Smart, Jalen Brown, and all those picks. You're talking about, okay, having a, a Kevin Durant who, who will be 34 years old and who has missed a ton of games in the last couple of years, right? You're talking about having a Malcolm Brogdon who has missed a ton of games in the last few years. Okay. Robert Williams. So they already have some injury issues as is. Um, even currently constructed, even without the rent. They already have some guys that are kind of that, you know, Brogdon, Williams, kind of has some injury. Horford's getting older. So if you take, if I take away Marcus Smart, Derek White, Jalen Brown, all the picks, that gives you flexibility to make other trades, other moves. And then another rotation player, then no. That cuts into your depth. And that that leaves you into where you are basically 
an injury away from not being in a, a title contender. That put that put that puts more pressure on on Kevin Durant, a thirty four year old Kevin Durant. See, when Golden State got rid of all their debt, right? When they made when they signed Kevin Durant, he wasn't traded for, but they they got rid of all they got rid of a lot of their debt. So about Barbosa. Uh, a number, of, a couple other guys that, that that were not on the team because they had to sign because they signed Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant was, you know, this is five years ago. Kevin Durant's 30, 28, 29 years old. He could, you know, he could carry that weight, and you still you still had Steph, Draymond, and Clay in their primes, right? A team that, but and, and that team had won a championship and had been to the finals twice. Phil Boston. This guy asks, you know, is it worth it? Considering what you are building, you have a stable organization. You have a team that's only going to get better. And again, you don't have to. You don't have to make this move. See, Miami, they have to. They have to go after Durant. They can't stand Pat. Phoenix can't stand Pat. Pat. They have to go after Kevin Durant. They have to take a risk in giving up picks and and possibly, you know, if, if he were eligible, right, DeAndre Aiden and things of that nature. They have to go all out because currently constructed, those teams are just not good enough to win the championship. Phoenix is not good enough currently constructed to win the championship. And Phoenix will continue to go after their, if Durant isn't traded into the season and by the trade deadline next year, they will be in play for Kevin Durant as well. I don't think that will be the case. I think Durant will be moved. I think Durant will be on a new team by then. But if he's not, hypothetically speaking, Phoenix will still be in play for Durant. So where the NBA is at right now, and again, I mentioned this on a podcast with Robert Sapp. One of I think it was on our last podcast um, for the NBA. I said, I will never again get caught up in the super team shiny car aspect of how you run a franchise as a fan i would never get caught up in i would never get caught up in a team that does that if a team goes for uh, a made-up super team or a super team that's just manufactured versus stability versus continuity and i'm sticking to that boston right now has stability boston right now has continuity they don't need Kevin Durant. They don't. And again, if I'm going to make the move for, to get Kevin Durant, I'm doing it on my terms. I remember back I remember when I used to play fantasy football and we used to do trades. And um, every trade I would make, just about, I made some bad, I made a couple of bad ones. When the most, the most of the majority of trades I made, were trades to not only help my team, but trades to hurt your organization because I was trying to win. I was, I didn't make fair. I didn't make. I made. I made one bad trade. My whole fancy football career, one bad one. That I still regret that probably cost me. Probably cost me a championship the first year I started. Actually, one of the first years I started playing fancy football as an adult. After that, no, I, I nailed all my trades from a fantasy football. Nailed them all. Because it wasn't just about me improving my team. I'm trying to cripple your team as well. And that's how to me how Boston has to think. Like, we're in the same division. We're in the same conference. I'm not trying, like, I don't like, 
Boston has to not give a shit about the Nets. Like I'm, you are in a position of desperation. Your your franchise is in shambles right now. Why would I? You have no leverage. You're not getting the better. I'm not giving up the house and farm for Kevin Durant. No. Especially, you know, and listen, Durant, we know Durant's an all-time great, especially with everything, the baggage that comes with Durant. Durant, despite his greatness, despite the fact that he's still probably a top-five player, there is some baggage that comes with Durant. It's the fact that he just basically quit on a franchise with four years left on his contract or off a supermass contract. The fact that he left a perfect franchise, the uh, the best franchise in the sport right now in Golden State. You have to take all those things in consideration if you're the Boston Celtics. Can't just get allured by the talent that is insane. That's ridiculous talent. We know how talented Kevin Durant is. One of the most talented players of all, a top five talent of all time. Not a top five player of all time, but one maybe you I dare to a top five, top ten talent of all time without question. Not a top five, a uh, top ten player. But you know what Kevin Durant is all about, and what Kevin Durant can do, and the fit would be perfect. Yeah, he'll fit with Jason Tatum. He'll fit with Kevin Durant. Can fit with anybody because he's that's his game. His game is tailor made to fit with any style of basketball or any uh, with uh, uh, um, any type of offense or any uh, players. It doesn't matter. You can play off the ball. You can, you know, put the ball on the floor, isolate. You can do it all. We understand that. We get it. But you know, Boston Celtics, you are building something. You took a major step last year in getting to the NBA Finals. Jalen Brown can get better. Jason Tatum can get better, right? They're young players. They're Grant Williams's, Derek White's. Those guys are going to get better. They should be like you're. You're building something here. So I wouldn't do the deal. I definitely would not do it on the Nets term, the Nets terms. And I would actually wait out. Remember, no one is not no one is 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 is, is no one in the league right now is going gaga over signing over, over trying to trade for Kevin Durant. They don't the Nets do not have a lot of suitors. Teams don't have the money, don't have the, the assets. Teams are not in a position to and they're and team and most of the majority of teams have eliminated themselves from the standpoint as they know that Kevin Durant doesn't want to play for them. So they that that are that's eliminated about half the league as it is. The Nets have limited, when I mean limited, on count on the half a hand how many options the Nets have right now in terms of moving Kevin Durant. So if I'm Boston, I'll just weigh it out. I'll go into the season as one of the top two favorites in the East along with Milwaukee, one of the top favorites in the whole NBA as far as um, winning a championship. Right now, I think uh, Boston is the favorite uh, to win the title, to win the championship in terms of the, uh, the betting odds. So they're in a position of power, not the Nets. This podcast is a deep dive. It's brought to you by all calculated measures. Um, I recently got some merchandise from uh, Adrian McDonald. Uh, looking forward, looking forward to wearing it, showing you know, showing it to you. He has a bunch of new merchandise out on uh, his website. Um, it is at, uh, I can pull it up real quick. 
uh, I will post it. Matter of fact, I will post it on. Uh, I will post it on my um, on the, on the description at the end of the podcast. I will post it once the podcast is out. But is again this spot this deep dive in quarterbacking is brought to you by all calculated measures. We're going to look at two fascinating, interesting quarterbacks. We have we'll have a lot in common. Uh, to be honest with you, even though they have completely different playing styles, have more in common than what you think. Lamar Jackson and Jimmy uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, of course, Lamar Jackson remains uh, is, is you know remains a Baltimore Raven, but he has not got that mega contract extension that normally guys of his ilk uh, would have signed by now. He um, you've seen Kyler Murray, we've seen Josh Allen, we've seen a number of quarterbacks. Uh, in the last couple of years, especially in that 2018 class, signed their Supermax uh, extensions or close to max extensions. Uh, Lamar Jackson has not. Um, now, a couple of things. Jackson is represented by his mother himself. He has no, he's not with an agency, right? So keep that in mind. Um, and thought is what you know do you give Lamar Jackson uh the max deal as far as making him the highest paid quarterback of all time which in, which which they they're going to have to do like the guy he is the MVP remember for all the stuff you can say about his throwing and or lack thereof as far as him right now being a championship quarterback from a pocket you you're winning games with Lamar Jackson Lamar Jackson his first four years of his career has done nothing but win games. He is uh, 37 and 12 as a starter. Uh, that's a 755 winning percentage. He has an MVP. Now, again, one and three in the playoffs. But let me keep this, keep, keep this in mind for a guy who's, who has ruled for a team that hasn't had a quarterback, a franchise level quarterback since like Joe Theismann. Okay, it's been 40 years since my team has had a quarterback of how hard it is to find quarterbacks that win games. Go ask Detroit Lions. You can go ask Chicago Bears. Go ask a number of teams. Go ask the New York Jets, okay, how hard it is to find a championship-level quarterback or a quarterback, a playoff-caliber quarterback. So Baltimore is going to have no choice but to pay uh, Lamar Jackson, period. And you know, I you know when you look at when you look at him, the question is, are they push? Are they going to push him to develop into being a a a pocket quarterback, a quarterback that can that can do damage in the pocket? Not so much that that lives in the pocket, but that can do damage in the pocket. To me, Jackson's failures in the postseason and his failures as a passing quarterback as a quarterback in the pocket are not emblematic of what of him not wanting to change it's emblematic of the structure of that offense or the lack of weapons um, on the outside so that's the question will they push him to go to that next level because I, th- I, I think Lamar Jackson can do damage out the pocket matter of fact I think the one of the most underreported stories last Last year, in regards to Lamar Jackson, I know he missed a number of games at the end of the season due to uh, you know with the injury. 
was the fact that I thought he took a step forward from throwing in the pocket, to be honest with you. I just don't think he has the weapons on the outside, and I don't think the offense has challenged him to uh, to take that next step as a pure, as a passer. Listen, he's never going to be a classic drop-back passer. He's never going to be that classic guy. I mean, Brady, Manning, we know some of these classic drop-back passers who don't move in the pocket. That's never, that's never going to be him. But he can be a Steve Young type. People forget about Steve Young. Before Steve Young became an MVP, I think Steve Young won, I think, two MVPs. Or at least one. I think yes, yes. Steve Young won two MVPs and was a had won the all-time great Super Bowl performance of you know six touchdowns against San Diego. Before he did all of that, Steve Young used to just terrorize uh and just drive his receivers, Jerry Rice in particular, crazy because he was a you know, he he would um look to run and not go through all his progressions. Early on in his career, that was a problem. That was that was a major problem with Steve Young. People forget about that, but that was a that that was that he did have those issues early on. They coached him up, and he developed into a, a pure. He developed into a great pocket passer as his as age you know kicked in, and as you know he took more hits in regards to running. And the rest is history. I can't like I don't see why Lamar Jackson again. This is about the coaching. Cannot develop into that type of player. And he has way more physical talent than Steve Young would ever have physically. So, you know, uh, to me, it's more about with Lamar Jackson. It's more about the structure. It's more about what are they? More about are the Ravens going to challenge him to be that type of player? As far as Jimmy Garoppolo goes, um, of course, the World's Cup secret came out um, earlier this week, and basically an announcement by Kyle Shanahan saying, "Hey, Trey Lance is our guy." You know, we're moving on from Jimmy. Like we've known that for the past year or so, so we we, we knew that was going to be the case. Some again, similar to Lamar Jackson, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo has done nothing. You can say what you want about him, criticize him, call him inconsistent. You know, he's been injury. He has been injury prone. That's been that's to me that's the biggest knock against Garoppolo is he has a, has a has a hard time staying on field. But when he's been on the field, he's done nothing but win. Uh, he's thirty one and fourteen as a thirty three and fourteen as a starter. Okay. Four and two in playoff in, in um playoff games. Look at Kyle Shanahan's record with him versus without him. Doesn't it's not even comparable. Like he Kyle Shanahan with him, the team's gonna be in the playoffs, they're gonna be contending for conference championships. Without him, the team has been mediocre to say the least. That's despite having a great offensive line, great defensive line, and, and, and a bunch of talent around, you know, and a bunch of talent, um, individual talent, as the 49ers do have. But you know, I understand them wanting to move on. They uh, them wanting to uh, move on and see what they get. See, you know, what they have in Trey Lance. Um, but there should be a number. I like. I'm looking at how many teams should there should be a number of teams who should be looking. Whereas the Giants, Saints, Texans, Lions, Steelers, Falcons, that should be looking. That should be looking at Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, to be honest with you, I think Garoppolo can come in and be a perfect stopgap quarterback. Now, the thing is, though, you have two quarterbacks, and you have Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, who are going to be the top two quarterbacks taken in next year's draft, injuries withstanding in 2023. A lot of teams don't want to risk 
having Jimmy G, Jimmy G on their team to where they might win too many games and they might there are gonna be some teams that are tanking this year, folks. They won't admit to it, but there are gonna be a number of teams in the NFL. The bad teams are gonna be horrible this year. You're gonna see a number of you're gonna see some two and fifteen, some three and four. You're gonna be a, a bunch of two and fifteen, a bunch of three and fourteen, a bunch of four and thirteen teams. There'll be a number of teams within that range. It would be between four and thirteen and two and fifteen to take to get those to, to get a shot at one of those two quarterbacks. There'll be at least five or six quarterbacks that are projected to go in the first round. But but uh Young and Stroud are at the top of the are at the top of the list. Um these two guys again have done nothing but win football games. But this is where the NFL is is at right now at the quarterback position. The stakes, the 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 there are levels to the quarterbacking to where teams know, teams absolutely know that it's just not enough to have a winning quarterback player, winning quarter, winning a winner at quarterback. A guy who just win, a guy who just win games is not enough. You have to have a guy who. We are winning games because of that guy. We have to have a guy who we feel like can make other players better. There's a thought around the league that Garoppolo, Garoppolo and Lamar Jackson don't make the players around them better. And again, that list is not that long. Patrick Mahomes, Brady, Rodgers, we can stop right there. Now, Joe Burrow could be headed there. Justin Her- Herbert could be on headed there. But the list of, of quarterbacks that make other team that make their the other team make their teams better is not very long. It's, it's, it's very short. But that's where we're at right now with the quarterback position. It's not. It's not. It's, it's not. It's no longer a situation where oh, this guy wins games. So yeah, we he, you know, we want him on our team. No, 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 no. And that's what Dallas is going to find out, finding out the hard way with Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott's a guy, he'll win you some games in the regular season, but he's not going to elevate you to that next level. Anybody's getting paid like a guy that's elevating that, that, you know, that's more, you want to call it market value? Sure. But they, but um, that's what, that's the category that these two guys are in right now. Now, obviously, there's more upside considering age and, and he hasn't had as many injuries yet because he hasn't as yet because he hasn't been in the league as long. Demar Jackson, of course, has by far the bigger upside. Jimmy Garoppolo is like 29, 30 years old. But you could do I'll say you can do a hell of a lot worse on your team than to have one of these two guys playing for your for your football team. Would I take you to one of these guys on my team? Absolutely. And they're about at least 10 teams that would take that would and should take either one of these guys on their team that because that's going to immediately help you get to the playoffs. Lamar Jackson wouldn't help you will put you in, the, put you in the playoffs. So we're concluding, uh, finished up the wire, uh, the entire series, uh, early this morning. Um, and this course is going to be a dark, concluding our series of wire reflect wire at twenty reflections. Now, season five 
a lot of, there was a lot of criticism of season five. Um, the worst season, you know, by far the worst season of The Wire and what have you. You know, the story was ridiculous, blah, 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 so on and so on. I'm telling you right now, season five of The Wire is probably better than about 85% of seasons in probably television history. Okay. Season five was phenomenal. And it was phenomenal because, number one, that's the number one. Let's take this into account. They only got 10 episodes. Okay. They only got 10 episodes. It should have been 12 to 13. So Simon is already dealing with, he's not dealing with a full, uh, you know, came in or he came into that season, you know, basically handicapped uh, in terms of the amount of time he had to tell a story. And again, this is a, the wire is always a complex story. It's not, you can't rush the type of storytelling which the wire is trying to convey. And Simon got rushed by HBO um, clearly uh, to, uh, to, to wrap up the season to write yet yeah, to wrap up the series. Um, the performances from Dominic West and Tristan Rogers were just were Emmy were Emmy level great. Remember, Dominic West coming out season four, they didn't need him. He was at a he was a he was at a MVP acting level in that season as Jimmy McNulty. By far his best. Like by far his 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 best season as as, as a uh, as a as an actor on that series in in, in the in the um out of the five seasons, and you look at the premise of the you know think about this it starts off episode one you hear the, the famous you know Buck Moreland quote at the end of that uh the epilogue the bigger the lie the more they believe. You're telling me, think about where we are at right now as a society with fake news and the internet and the social media in terms of how much bullshit that people actually believe. It, it is, again, it was, the show is just ahead of its time. And I heard this, you know, and just deep diving a lot of wire stuff with, 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 with it being a 20th anniversary. When you are ahead of your time, it's hard for, for people to just appreciate what they are at what they are actually witnessing in that particular during that particular time if that makes sense and i just think that people just first of all i think you know like i said season five got compared to the other four seasons other four seasons was it as good as the other four seasons no was it was it the worst was it the weakest out of the other four seasons? Yes, but it wasn't because of storyline. It was because of the, the fact that they had to be, they got rushed into ending the show. That's why it was the weakest out of all the seasons. They only got 10 episodes in right, comparisons to seasons one and four getting 13 and seasons two and three getting 12. That's why it was the weakest seasons. They didn't, because they did not get enough time to tell the entire story. You want to say 10, you know, because it's an hour, because the last episode was an hour and 30 minutes. You want to say 10 and a half, 10 and a half episodes? Sure. But as far as performances, as far as where we stand 
2022 with the news cycle and what they were trying to convey in season five, I mean, I it it goes hand in hand. Like I said, it it like I said, this this season that season took place in 2008. It might as well has been it might as well has been 2022. Back the way they were telling stories and the way the way that the news is right now as we currently stand in 2022. Like I said, it was so far. That's the thing about it. It was so far ahead of this time that I guess people just couldn't believe that news could be uh, that it was just that, that you know, the idea of a cop lying for a fake serial killer out of stat, you know, to, you know, to try to, you know, pour, have money poured into uh, his criminal investigation you know, which is just, I would just be, it was just too unrealistic. But to be honest with you, in today's society, no, it's not too unrealistic. And again, the bigger point was, and this word, and this is where the wire is just so, such a smart show. It wasn't so much it being believable where what McNulty could do it, what McNulty. Could would could McNulty do that or get away with that? The bigger point was what led them McNulty and Freeman to make that decision. All the promises that gotten broken, the systems that were broken, Carcetti and his old ordeal, um, you know, taking you know not allowing policemen to do to uh, taking away from the police budget because of the failings of the school system and the fail and, and what have you in the terms of the previous administration. So everything, all those, all those connected, um, all those things that were connected, all those systems that fell apart, that led to that, to, to those, uh, d- decisions of desperation, uh, were, were more about what, what David Simon was trying to convey than just the actual believability of, of a cop, uh, Faking murders to uh, faking murders and creating serial serial killer, but as far as the news stuff goes, I mean, listen, they had they the news stuff is comp- like that. Yeah, a reporter making up his own shit like that. What that doesn't happen? Like, uh, <laughs> come on. Like I said, I think the season five to me has aged perfectly because of where we where we stand in twenty twenty two, and. Uh, again, there you will never ever convince me that this is not the greatest show of all of all time. So that's going to conclude our Wire reflections. Um, Twenty anniversary of the Wire. Again, I encourage anybody who hasn't seen it or to do another uh, to do another rewatch of it. Um, each time you find out, you learn something new or different that comes out after every re- after every uh rewatch and that was not that wasn't that was certainly the case in in this time for i, I can't i can't count how many times i rewatched it but you learn something different every time you, you rewatch the show biggest disappointment and who won the week so it is this is some this is history on the real deal podcast because for the first time you have a player an athlete or you have someone who won the week and was also the biggest disappointment at the same time in the same week. Uh, Kyler Murray, of course, signed a contract, a five-year extension for $230 million, $160 million in total, in, in total guarantees. 
um, he'll get, of course, $105 million basically immediately, you know, that that's that's guaranteed, guaranteed. The $160 million is second all-time in total guarantees, of course, behind Deshaun Watson. His average salary, $46 million a year, is second all-time. Uh, is second all-time as well. And so when you sign that type of contract extension, um, yes, you, you are winning in life. Why is he the biggest disappointment? Of course, it came out during the weekend that he was that there was a clause in his contract that required him to study four hours outside the building. Uh, there have been question marks about how hard Kyler Murray has worked, um, the maturity, leadership, all those things. We heard all those things during uh, the offseason, and they, they showed and they showed themselves in terms of how he handled um, any type of criticism when we were back in January when, you know, he seemed to seemingly just, you know, was doing shit like uh, taking all the Arizona stuff off his social media and, you know, you know, and seemingly just did not accept the criticism that came with him not playing well in a playoff game, which is one again, one of the worst playoff debuts of a quarterback in recent memory. I mean, he was awful in that game, but that was his first playoff game. But he was awful, period. And he did not play well down the stretch of the season. So he so here here's the thing, right? I'm going to read you two excerpts. Uh, first one was um, out the New York Times last season, last year. I'm not one of those guys that's going to sit there and kill myself watching film. I don't sit there for 24 hours and break down this team and that team and watch every game because I, in my head, I see so much. Um. And basically said he has cognitive abilities that allow him to that other you know players quarterbacks don't have so you know he doesn't have to watch as much film as most guys okay now now let's fast forward to today i'm talking today because i feel it's necessary with what's going on as far as regarding me and the things that are being said about me to think that I can, to think that I can every everything, I can do everything that I've accomplished in my career and not be a student of the game and not have the passion and not take this serious is disrespectful and almost a joke, Murray said. To me, I'm flattered. I'm honestly flattered that y'all think at my size I can go out there and not prepare for the game and not take it serious. It's disrespectful. I feel like to my peer, I feel like to my peers, to all the great athletes and players that are in this league, the game's too hard. So here, here's the thing: no one ever said that he did not prepare or didn't take the game serious. I think his own team was basically saying that he didn't prepare or take the game serious enough. So they're not saying that you're not preparing. No one's saying that you're not even taking the game serious. They're what they are in essence, what your team is saying, and what's been the whispers around the league is you don't over prepare or you don't prepare hard enough. And anybody who knows anything about football, 
understands this. At the quarterback position, you have to be the hardest worker, the smartest and the hardest. You have to be the hardest worker on your team if you want to be a high-level quarterback in this league. You want to be a franchise guy. You want to have any chance of being a great player and, and being consistent and being a championship caliber quarterback, any chance, you have to be the hardest worker. And that shouldn't, your, your work ethic should never even be in question. In question. So the fact that your own team, your own franchise, does not believe in your work ethic to a point to where they feel like they have to put it in your clause in your contract says, speaks to, you know, where Kyler Murray is at, is at in his career. Now, Kyler Murray has gotten off to a relatively fast start in his career. He's been offensive rookie of the year. He's made, he's led his team to the playoffs. He's put up great, he's put up excellent numbers. But again, to have that, to have, to reach a certain level, to have sustained excellence over the course of time, and to over the course of time, you got to put in, like, you have to be a, a you know, you have to be one of these guys that, that lives and dies with, with game film and preparation. This is already as to it. Eventually, the league will catch up with you, and eventually, not saying he'll ever be out the league, he just will not live up to his full potential. And listen, we've seen guys in other sports, like Allen Iverson, was Allen Iverson the hardest worker in the offseason in terms of lifting weights and training and, and you know, tedious, meticulous about his preparation? No. <laughs> Did he get by basically on sheer talent? Yes. And Allen Iverson, I recently heard Allen Iverson said that was the difference between me and Kobe. Kobe, I'm not Kobe. Kobe was that guy. I was in the club. Kobe was in the gym. He said that. That came out of his mouth. Okay. So you, there are guys that can get by on sheer talent. What will just happen is you'll see a lot of those guys either be injury prone or just won't live up to their or just or you'll be saying after when their career is over, you know what? That guy could actually, as great as he was, he could have been better. Here's the difference between that and, say, the NFL. At the NFL, at the quarterback position, the way the level the quarterback position is being played right now, there's no cheating. You, you can't, there's no cheating the game, per se. You're not getting by on just pure talent. It's just not going to happen at the quarterback position. You're going to have to study as much as it's, it's going to be even more important. Probably going to be more important your mental and physical preparation than even your all your physical attributes and ability and, 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 and abilities. Probably more so. So if I'm an Arizona Cardinal fan, fan, I would be extremely concerned, to say the least, about the future of this franchise and what type of player Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray will be moving forward and how far Kyler Murray can go. Getting to the playoffs is just not enough anymore in the NFL because, I mean, the way it's set up now, it's not like it's not a big deal to get to the playoffs. It's just not with the extra team, the extra rounds, the extra teams. It's not the extra games. It's not you get to the playoffs, huh? Cute. That's cute. You almost have to have a good year. To me, you almost have to need to get to the playoffs and win a game for it to be a successful year if you have a guy who is a perceived franchise-type quarterback like Kyler Murray, like Kyler Murray is. Again, I've never heard of a quarterback 
a franchise quarterback, a all-time, a guy who's going to be a Hall of Fame all-time great, being considered, being having to be pushed to work harder. If that's not a red flag, I don't know what is. Now, there have been questions that should Arizona had even put this contract, put this clause in his contract. And I would say, no, they shouldn't have put this clause in his contract. That this should have been dealt with internally. Um, this should have been dealt with internally. But the problem is, you don't have a strong that that team has had a losing culture for the most part. They've had a couple of years. They had a couple of good years with Kurt Warner and Larry Fitzgerald made to Super Bowl. I, I I give you that. But for the most part, this has been a losing franchise with a losing culture. When you have when when you have the guy whose talent is driving the culture, that's could be a problem because that talent might not equate with character. We saw that in Brooklyn this year with Irving and Durant. More with Irving and Durant. The talent did not equal up to the talent did not equal up to the character and their culture fell apart. You still have to have a, 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 a situation where the franchise culture is being driven by the franchise. That's ownership, general manager, coach, then quarterback, and, and then the quarterback filters to the rest of the team. Right now, Kyler Murray is driving that culture because he is by far their best player and he is the quarterback of the team. And he's had some success, some early on success. So, no, I don't think, uh, first of all, four hours is nothing. Like, four hours outside. I, I, I guarantee you, I'm telling you, the, the, not, I'm not even just looking at the top guys. The majority of NFL quarterbacks are doing any, are, are, are even after they're done prepping, even after they're done even when they leave the facilities are doing stuff when they're at home that, that it far exceeds more than four hours. Four hours is nothing, for, especially for, for an upcoming game. They're doing anyway, I, 20 or 25 hours, at least, if not more, in terms of just pray. Like, that's, that is, it, it is, that, that position, it is the most, that, that is, it is the most important position in all the sports right now, the quarterback position. The complexities, offense, offenses is the hardest position to play. And keep in mind, you have defensive coordinators who don't sleep, who are trying to, who are coming up with schemes, weekend, season in, year in, year out, to try to stop you or to try to to uh, to contain you as a quarterback. So, like the it, it's a, again, it's like baseball with. They are going to adjust, find your weaknesses. You have a weakness, they're going to find it. Period. It's, a, it's you know it's like a hitter and pitcher in baseball. Adjust, counter adjust, adjust, counter adjust. That is how the quarterback position is. And again, you will get exposed if you don't if you don't work hard enough. It will get exposed. Trust me. So again, if I were an Arizona fan, I, this I you know I'll be extremely extremely concerned moving forward. Now, do you give them the money? Yes, you have to give them the money because they're just not that many quarterbacks out there who are franchise caliber quarterbacks. And his talent does dictate that he is a franchise caliber quarterback. And right now, he's checked off all the boxes from a playing standpoint that would tell you that he's a franchise quarterback. But the one box that he has not checked off that remains to be seen, of course, is his leadership. So, um, again, 
Congratulations to Colin Murray making more deal podcast history, winning the week, and also the most disappointing, the biggest disappointment. That's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. I hope everybody enjoys the rest of your day. I will see you next time. So long.